to be in Psalm 86 this morning. Psalm 86. Probably about making a joke that it's a throwaway psalm, but I don't know how many of y'all would understand the reference to the number 86. Nobody? Okay. Well, like two grins. <laughs> 86 is an old slang term to mean to dispose of or throw away or to kill. I didn't know that. That's why Maxwell Smart's number is 86 on Get Smart, but there's actual reason why it's disposable. Psalm 86. Try to enlighten everybody a little bit. And you know, just to... Psalm 86 this morning. We'll go ahead and read this text here. Uh, Psalm 86. We'll begin in verse number 1. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things, thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and in the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast holpen me and comforted me. This psalm, if you look up at the, most Bibles will probably have little, um, little headings, little uh, titles on these. This one, there's a title that's been preserved for us. It says, A Prayer of David. Prayer's such an odd undertaking if you stop and think about it. If uh, Sometimes people will say, you know, boy, if an alien were to beam down and, and, and stand beside you, you know, how confused would they be? seeing some of the things we do, uh, some of our interactions, you know, why do we do this, why do we do that, and some of it's just society, some of it's culture, but if somebody comes in with absolutely no knowledge of that, uh, what would they think about some of the things we do, shaking hands, waving, those kind of things, they'll say, well, what, that's really weird, why would you do that, well, it's just what we do. Uh, but, but, you know, if an alien were to come down to see us pray, by the way, side note, I don't think there are aliens, okay, sorry, but I don't think there are. But if, if, if you were to, you know, bring an alien, bring somebody in who has no concept of what religion is, 
and they see us pray, what would they think? I think they'd be confused. They probably understand the idea of communication. You know, if you observe humankind, we communicate, we speak to each other, we call, we text, we do all this. So, but when you're sitting there praying, you're talking to someone that an observer would not see. Now, I remember when cell phones were first really getting popular 20 years ago, and especially people walking around with a little Bluetooth headset. And still today, sometimes you'll be in Walmart and you'll think somebody's talking to you and they're talking to somebody who's not there. You know, we think on the Bluetooth. They may just be talking to somebody who's not there. I don't know. But I, I remember seeing these reports by psychologists saying how unnerving that was because our brain is so wired that when one person's talking, the other person's there. And the, the, all the little visual cues and things that we process they just said it, it's very unnerving because our mind was just not made to comprehend that. I don't know if we've gotten more used to that with time. It's still very weird to me to see somebody doing that. But, uh, you know, when, like I said, when, you, when somebody were to walk up and see you pray, they'd probably think that somehow, oh, what, what in the world are they doing? This is, this is strange. This is odd. I've heard atheists mock prayer. You know, well, why are you talking? You're talking. You're talking to somebody who's not there. It doesn't do any good. You're just, you know, saying words out in the thin air. Some say prayer is only beneficial as a sort of talk therapy. That when you're just you're talking it out of yourself, and so it's a psychological benefit. I I, I don't understand that because I, I'm gonna tell you, I pity the poor souls that have never experienced true prayer. A lot of these people that don't that mock it, that don't understand it, it's because they, they don't understand it. They've never experienced it. When you get alone by yourself, separated from the distractions and earthly concerns, when you pour out your heart, your praises, your petitions, your pleas, and know that God has heard you. It's not just that I'm talking, not just I'm expressing something but that the great God of this universe has heard, and by the way, that He will respond to that. When you walk away with your faith strengthened and a calm assurance that the hand that holds the universe in place is working to answer your prayer. When you stand in awe of what God does in response to a prayer. That is something every Christian should experience and honestly should experience regularly. Our text this morning is a psalm, it's a song, but it's also a prayer written by David. I'm not sure when it was written, uh, Reese's Chronological Bible, his guess is as good as anybody else's. He says this is when Saul was chasing him with the armies over by En Gedi, one time I think it was when uh, David snuck in there and cut off the, the, the bottom part of Saul's uh, robe, part of his skirt, is right before that I think was uh, the, the setting he had. But what's funny, and like I said, we've been—I know I've been preaching a little bit more from Psalms uh, here lately. A lot of these Psalms we focus on have been the, the more Psalms of desperation, the ones we cling to in times of trouble. But when you read this Psalm, you don't really see that. What you find here is a prayer that is calm, it's confident, it's composed. There's no doubt that God hears. There's no doubt that God cares. There's no doubt that God acts. There is faith and assurance that the prayer is heard 
and will be answered. Yet, it's not a peaceful song. Well, not necessarily written, I, I was thinking about songs, some songs are written in a very minor key, and then they play, it just sounds depressing. Well, this isn't necessarily a, a song written in a minor key, but it still has a sort of uh, an imminent danger to it. In, in verse 7, there's a day of trouble. In verse 13, it talks about deliverance. In verse 14, there's enemies. There's divine assistance. In, 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 in verse 17, to close it out. So there's trouble, there's need for God to act, there's a call for God to act, but there's not the desperation that we've seen in some of the other psalms that we've, we've, we've uh, spoken about here. It's not an escape from a pit like we looked at a couple weeks ago from Psalm 77, but this is a psalm for dealing with problems through prayer in faith. And I think this psalm is a tremendous lesson in prayer. And I've got three observations I want to make. And, and I think when you look at this psalm, it can divide pretty well into three different sections. And each one of these divisions, there is, I'm going to say, an element of prayer. And then it closes with a statement about God. And you'll usually use the word thou, you know, thou art going to do something. But the, the three sections close out with a statement about God doing something that I think are foundational to the element. So it talks about an element of prayer and then closes with this is why this element works. This is why we do this. So I want to look at each of these this morning. The first section is the first seven verses. And this, I'm going to say, is humility founded on assurance. Humility founded on assurance. I'm not going to reread this section uh, here. We just read it. But when you read this, there's a whole lot of um, humility on behalf of, uh, of David as we're praying this. And there's a whole lot of praise in here too. We're lifting up God. By the way, it's a good idea to remember who we are and who we are talking to when we pray. In the first six verses, we have a reminder of these. You'll see how God is described. He, he hears. He preserves. He rejoices. Causes us to have joy in our heart. He forgives, He attends, He's active, He's working. He's described as good and merciful. That's really lifting high who God is and what He does. And then you see how we, the pray, prayer, I don't know what the term for that is, but the prayer who's praying the prayer, how we are described. We're poor, we're needy, we're trusting, we're crying out to Him, we're pleading with him. So pretty big contrast. We're not lifting up ourselves. We're coming humbly before God. A couple other things I want you to notice in here I think are kind of interesting. Verse 2 says, Preserve my soul, for I am holy. Now, it kind of sounds a little braggadocious on the part of the psalmist, does not I'm I'm holy. Uh so like somebody said, well, I am humble. You know, usually somebody claims they're humble, they're really not. You know, you'd be so humble, you'd be proud about it. But uh, this is not a statement of self-worth 
they're, they're not sitting here saying, well, look at me, I'm somebody. They're not being a Pharisee here. They're not saying, look how spiritual I am. In fact, I, I would make the case, they're not really talking about themselves here. I think what they're doing is reminding God about something He's done. Why are we holy? That's because of what God did. That ain't because of us. Why? Because we're sinners. But God sets us apart. That's what holy means. We're set apart. We're dedicated to Him. So I think what He's doing here in this prayer is saying, God, You're the one that set me apart, made me devoted to You. That wasn't my choice. That's something You did. I think that's even an act of humility in what He's saying here. Because the emphasis is on God and not us. And then in verse 4, He talks about, He says, I lift up my soul. Again, I don't think this is about us because He's saying, I'm down here, and God, I'm lifting myself up to you. I'm not lifting myself up. There's, a, there's an object here. To him. So even in these, like I say, you, you read all this, these, these first six verses, and the constant picture is, I am coming humbly before a great and mighty and powerful God. What do we find? A great big God and a little bitty us. Which, by the way, worship in a nutshell, we bow ourselves and we lift up and magnify God. What I see here is humility. It's not boastfulness on one extreme and it's not even self-deprecation on the other. I'm bad about that. I like to beat myself up and sometimes, y'all have gotten on to me before some of the jokes I make, kind of picking on myself. I say, don't do that, don't do that. I try, I'm trying, trying not to do that. But this is not, I'm not putting, he's not putting himself down. This is, it's, it's honest, it's humility, it's a truthful assessment. That's a key element of prayer, is humility. I know Hebrews says we come boldly before the throne, but you also realize we're coming before the great God of the universe. We know who we are. We need to come humbly, with a humble heart. We don't come in demanding, God, do this! We come in, God, I don't deserve this, but I need you. Humility is a key element of prayer. And it's founded on the assurance in verse number 7. How can we be humble? Well, we have the assurance that God will hear and will answer our prayer. That's not on us. Remember, the element's not us. It's on Him. On the surface, it may sound contradictory. But the reason why there's humility here is because it has nothing to do with us. I thought of the song the Goodman's used to sing, Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, thine for? The answer, I may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? He, on high, assures us, we're down low, that our prayers are going to be answered. That doesn't lift us up with pride. Honestly, it mar- I marvel at that. It's humbling to know that the great God of the universe will hear and answer my prayer. That doesn't create pride. It actually creates humility. It's not the prayer or the prayer that moves the mountain. It's the one who hears and answers the prayer. That's where the power is. It's not us and what we do. It's about God. And it humbles me to know that He can do 
mighty things in answer to my plea. So there we have humility. We have the assurance that God will work. In verses 8 through 13, this section we have praise. That's the element. And it's founded on experience. This next section, first part of it really doesn't talk about us at all. It really just magnifies God and then there's a little bit of a response for us. But the second section here continues the theme of the greatness of God from the first. How is he described? He's matchless. There's no other God like Him. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He does whatever He wishes to do. His plan, His will, will be done. He is glorified. He is great. His name, His honor, His majesty is lifted on high in these verses. You know what? Sinai, one of the Ten Commandments, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I heard a radical critic guy say once, well, the ancient Jews, they had other gods. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, you're not going to have another god. By the way, if you realize how great he is, there's no room for another god. Why would you want another one when you know how good he is? You could just grasp but a portion of his greatness then you would want no one else besides him. By the way, want to revolutionize your prayer life? Put the requests aside for a little while and just praise Him a little bit. Just lift up His name. Thank Him for His greatness and all that He has done. Doesn't He deserve it? Hasn't He earned it? By the way, can't you think of something to thank Him for? You can't. Do some checking up, because I guarantee you got some buried down there in there somewhere. He's been good to you. By the way, note how the praise turns practical here. Verse 11, after he's been praising, he says, Teach me thy way. I will walk in thy truth. Praise, what does praise do? Praise realigns us. Praise is a compass that points us to his greatness, and it gives us that true north to judge by our lives. I've talked about it before, but back when I was in Bible college, I used to work at Sears Auto Center, and there towards the end of those couple of years, uh, even though I am not mechanically inclined like some people are, um, through work, and actually I think because I showed up, I got promoted a little bit. And uh, Anyway, I was just getting where I was doing some uh, car alignments, and they taught me how to get the car up on the little rack and put the little sensors on the side, on the, on the wheels, and you roll it back and you roll it forward. And look, by the way, it's not hard. The computer told you exactly what to do. And if you messed up, the computer told you. And then when adjustment needed to be made, the computer showed you pictures of what to do. It was that simple. They didn't, they didn't uh, leave much room for error in doing this. I'm, I'm dead serious. It told you. Find this part. Turn this. Do, I mean, it told you exactly what to do. It was one of the easiest things in the world and why they charge so much for it. But the the key part of it was you get it up there and you do those measurements and you find out, boy, this car, because of the toe and the, all the caster and all these different angles, well, it's pulling off this way. Well, things got out of line. And you want that thing to be going straight. So you make all these adjustments so you get all the wheels and things going so it would drive true and it would drive straight. Can I tell you what, what happens a lot of times? 
is when we praise God, that realigns things in our life. And we look up to Him. And that gives us a path. That gives us a way. It gives us a true north to go by. It realigns our life so we can walk straight. Because it gets eyes off of, off of us. They used to say when you're plowing a field, you don't look right in front of you. You look way off down yonder to keep your lines straight. And that's what this praise does. It gets our eyes off ourselves, off our own feet. And we look at Him, and it gives us a path and, 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 a, and a guide and a target for us. Why do we... Um, sorry. And there's a foundation here for this praise. Like I said, we got the element of praise, which is a key part of prayer. But here's the foundation, verse 13. For great is thy mercy toward me. For thou, here's that thou again, he said, God, you've done something. God has delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Why do I praise him? I there's a lot of theological reasons. I, I, we were talking about this in Sunday school. I, I think that there's a, a couple of main things. Uh, you can praise Him for who He is, but you can praise Him for what He's done. And both of those things, He deserves our praise. I praise Him because of what He's done for me. I praise Him, or I love Him because He first loved me. He's, he has brought me out of the deepest pits and the darkest valleys. He's reached down when no other could. He's pulled my wretched soul from death unto life. How could I not? Praise Him for what He's done. I alluded to this, I think it was in Sunday school. I went ahead and looked it back up. I don't know why. It seems like I was just talking about this recently. But History tells us in the first, um, first, second century A.D. of a Christian leader named Polycarp. Which I love that name. Poly means many and carp means fish. No, no. I laugh every time. It's a bad Latin language joke. But anyway, this Christian... You are not in the laughing mood this morning, I can tell. But this man named Polycarp, he was an old man. He had actually been trained personally by, uh, by John, the Apostle John. He had sat at John's feet, had been trained in the ministry by him. And this time of Roman persecution came in, and Polycarp was in his 80s, is what the histories and traditions tell us. He's put on trial for being a Christian, and the Romans wanted to give this old man a break. They said, they said, this guy's old. By the way, the Romans had a lot of respect for older folks. That was a big deal in their culture. They did not want to... They, they said, look, this guy's old. He probably doesn't have very much time left. We don't want to have to put him to death. So they gave him a couple of opportunities. They said, if you'll just renounce Christ. And they would come to him and they'd say, if you'll just take this handful of incense, take it and burn it on that altar to one of our gods, you're fine. We'll let you go. But time after time, the Christians would not do it. Polycarp, history has given us this response that he made. It says, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? He says, I've been around here for eighty-six years. God's done nothing to me but good. How can I betray him and his love? How can I not praise him. By the way, he refused to recant. History tells us he was burned at the stake for his faith. But he's just another of the long line of Christians, by the way, all Christians, who I'll be able to look back and say, God has been good to me. 
How can I not praise him? How can I not thank him? How can I not love him because of what he has done for me? That's praise based on experience. In the third section here, we'll title it Expectation Based on Faithfulness. Expectation Based on Faithfulness. We finally get to the problem or the reason for the prayer here in, in this section. It's taken a while to get there. Sounds like one of my sermons, you know. It takes a while to get there. But you see now there's trouble, there's danger. The proud are risen against me. The assemblies of violent men have sought for my soul. There's trouble, there's danger. But note here that there is no despair. There's no panic. Why? Because... We've been here before. We've seen what God can do. We've seen Him deliver us from evil. Why? Because we know who God is. We know He is good, He's gracious, and He's mighty. We know He's greater than all our foes. Really, and this is amazing, if you, if you were to break this down by content, if you were to get one of those scanner things to break it down to molecular level on this and see what this is made out of, only verse 14 really gives us the, the pressing reason for the prayer. Only one out of 17. That's uh, somewhere around 6% of the psalm actually has to do with what the problem is. Only 6%. Now say maybe our prayers would be better and our Christian walks were stronger if we followed that same ratio, oh, honestly, a lot of our prayers, are, the 6% is probably our praise and 6% is probably our thanksgiving. We spend the other 94% telling God what we want, putting our order in. <laughs> so I think we'd be a lot stronger and a lot better if we'd spend that 94% praising Him and thanking Him and glorifying Him and then get around finally to our problem. By the way, by the time you get done praising Him, you probably realize your problems aren't that big anyway. The way it works. What we see here, though, in this, is it's not a focus on the problem. Like I said, it's barely mentioned here. But what we see here is an expectation that God is going to move on our behalf. I go over to Grandma's and we'll walk in and either she's got a, a cooking channel on or a ball game or a mystery. Okay? And, and I like to get in on those mysteries, try to figure it out. Angela Lansbury's trying to figure out what happened, you know, who killed her cousin or something. And, or Ben Matlock's in there, or one of those Hallmark movies where the guy does get the girl or the only kind of movies worth watching. I can't stand the movies where they, they don't get together at the end. Most of those movies end right. But anyway, but those mysteries. And here's the thing about a mystery. Ben Matlock is going to figure it out. It's going to take him an hour, but he's going to... Perry Mason, it's going to take him an hour, but he's going to figure it out. There's only a handful of those where they don't. And it really throws you off when they don't figure it out. I've seen a couple where they don't figure it out. But you watch those shows and you know they're going to figure this out. The bad guy's not going to get away with this. And we tell you how you know that they finally found the right guy. Look at your clock, and when there's five minutes left, 
If they find somebody 30 minutes into it, that's not the right person. There's too much time left. But the person they identify with five minutes left, that is the real killer. Okay? But you watch these shows. You know the Lone Ranger is going to come in and save the day. You know the killer is going to be caught. You know that's going to work out. There's not a lot of angst when you watch these shows because you know it's going to turn out right in most cases. Do we have the same confidence, though, in our God to know that He is going to move when the time is needed? Even if it is with five minutes left, we know that He will step in, that He will move, that right will prevail. Do we have that same confidence? in Him, the same expectation that God will move. What's that expectation based on? It's based on God's faithfulness. You look at that last verse, show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, I'm basing this all these vows right there, thou Lord has holpen me, you've helped me, you've comforted me. You know what's amazing? It's it's a it's it's a request, it's a plea, but it's also worded like a fact. He's basically saying, God, I'm asking you to help me, but I'm going to word it in such a way it's almost an imperative statement in saying, you're going to. That's faith. I'm not just saying, no, God, but would you mind? But I'm saying, God, I'm going to go ahead and start praising you because I know you're going to get me out of this. God, you are going to help. You're going to comfort me. You're going to have the victory. That's the kind of faith I was thinking about this. Talking about faith and great examples of faith. When my little kids were all little, I'm glad they don't do this now. They break my back. But when they're, when they're little, you get them about two years old or get walking, what do they do? They like to climb up on something and they like to launch off of that because they know daddy's going to catch them. Sometimes daddy's not ready though. There's a problem with that. But that kind of faith that little kid has it just knows nothing's going to happen to me. I'm going to launch out there and my daddy is going to catch me. That's the same kind of faith you see on display here. It's like saying, God, I, I'm in trouble, but I know you got this. That's some pretty strong faith that we have. It's our, that's our faith in God's faithfulness to hear and to answer our prayer. I guess as the musicians go in and come, I'll give a few statements here to wrap this up. Give Annette time to come up here and get settled in. Appreciate her jumping in there. A couple of questions. First, when is the last time you spent time praising God? When's the last time you got alone and you just thanked Him for how good He has been to you? When's the last time you just talked, told Him how great He really was? I have down here, I thought when I was thinking about that, you know, the answer to that is no matter what the answer is, whether that was an hour ago or a year ago or ten years ago, you know what the answer to that question is? It's too long. It's like the wolf brain, wolf brain chili. By the way, I was eating a bowl of wolf brain chili one time and that commercial came on and the guy said, well, neighbor, how long has it been since you had a great big steaming bowl of wolf brain chili? And I said, I'm eating one right now. And he said, well, that's too long. And I said, sure enough. <laughs> but when's the last time you really took some time to praise Him? Thank Him for all that He's done. I'm going to tell you, I think that's a 
something greatly missing from our prayers today. Because we focus so much on, how are we going to get this? How are we going to get, uh, God, I need this. God, I need this. God's not of any of I'll tell you what it is that he's worthy of all the praise we give him. Second, do we pray expecting results? Sometimes we're shocked when God answers a prayer. Oh, really? God did that? Wow. I love the confidence in here because basically David's writing this out. He's like, God, I know you got this. You're going to take care of this. I'm not going to worry. Yeah, hey, God, by the way, there's a bunch of people, bad guys out there. They're going to get me. Saul's out there chasing me. He wants to kill me. God, you got this. There's not a lot of despair in this. That's why I love the calm confidence in this. Because living our life is saying, God's got this. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry that my prayer is going to be answered. God's going to take care of this. And by the way, however he takes care of it is the best way to take care of it. And last, have you prayed the most important prayer? I've heard debates, theologians saying, you know, does God hear the prayer of a lost person? And there's verses back and forth on that. But I know one prayer He does answer above any other one. You know, sometimes I'll be on the phone and the phone will cut out a little bit. Are you still there? Yeah, I've been talking to you for five minutes. Oh, I didn't hear you. Sometimes the connection, but I'm going to tell you one prayer I know God hears every time, and that's that prayer when the sinner calls out to him, saying, Oh, Lord, save me. You don't have to worry about him missing that one. He's waiting for it. He's listening ever so close. All of heaven is peering down anxiously, just waiting to hear those words when a saint puts, or a sinner puts their faith in the great big God. That's the most important prayer we can have. And by the way, again, that's the basis for everything to follow. God hears that prayer. He's going to hear all the rest of them that we offer to him. Because that's the big one. Does he have the power to hear and answer that prayer? Yes, he does. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No question about it. No wondering. God, I called on you. Did you hear? Yes. God, I asked you to save me. Can you do it? Yes. Yes. I hope and pray. I know we got regular church folks today. That's the most important prayer anyone will ever offer. Everything else we do is just kind of a, just additional to that. That's just a, everything else is just like the end notes in the back of the book compared to that, compared to that prayer. We call on Him to save us. If you'll stand, we'll have a time of invitation here this morning. What number there, Owen? Eighty-five, 85 in the heavenly highways, y'all. Let's sing along with the invitation hymn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, simple kind of message here, breaking down this, this wonderful psalm. Lord, what great lessons in prayer in here. The humility we need to have coming before you, the praises we need to offer up. Lord, that calm assurance knowing that you hear, that you answer, that you will work. Lord, so many great lessons to take from this. I pray you help it to strengthen our prayer lives, to help us to run ever more through our prayer closets, to lift up more and more prayers to you. And Lord, and especially, if anything from this, just knowing that when we pray, we need to lift up your name. We need to be praising you when we pray. Lord, simple lessons here this morning. May they apply them to our hearts and lives and strengthen 
the prayer lives of your saints. Pray this now, holy name.